podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the West Ham Breakdown with me, Jack Elderton, and my mate, Callum Goodall, in a week where we saw the return of the James Ward Press uh, and two fantastic results against Freiburg and Wolves. What a way to bounce back from a 5-0 loss against Fulham. We were a, pr- a bit down last week, um, but we did speak about it potentially being a little bit anomalous um, as we hadn't seen anything to indicate that that was the general trend of the way that we were playing. And... Um, yeah, I think that was proven pretty well in these last two games. We played really, really well in both of them. And um, I actually took my partner to to both games. And uh, and the entire row is now saying that um, they've got to come back to, to, to every game for the rest of the time. We're trying to organize a whip round to get <laughs> on a train up to, <laughs> up to, up to Liverpool. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that's going to happen. So we'll really know if the, if the Liverpool game goes wrong. Um, but yeah, no, it's been a really great week. It's actually really nice to, to be doing... West Ham shows, um, this and Hamalytics stuff, for Hammer's chat and stuff, just waxing lyrical about things that West Ham are doing, doing well. So, um, yeah, I'll hand over to you, Cal. What did you make of the, of the week? And I, I hope you're feeling just as positive as me coming into this into this podcast. Yeah, yeah, very positive and really pleased that we were right with the anomaly thing because I think had we been wrong, it would have been really depressing this week, um, given. Uh, particularly that Freiburg game and the potential consequences had we not won it um, and looking at some of those teams that are dropping down and I'm kind of hoping that some of those are going to get knocked out before we uh, have to re-enter the tournament in, is it March, I think? Um, but yeah. It's a great draw for us as well, isn't it? Sorry to jump in, but a great draw. Yeah, 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 really good, which um, bodes well. But yeah, super positive. Um, and yeah, obviously we're going to talk about a lot of the things that changed and some of the causes for, for that Um return to form and yeah what three points off sixth i think it is which given all the doom and gloom around uh, (laughs) the fan base uh, seemingly uh yeah definitely reasons to be cheerful and yeah in a similar similar vein i'm taking my uh, partner's brother to watch West Ham Man United on Saturday as a Christmas. Oh, maybe maybe so. you'll take over. Maybe you'll take yeah, over. That's it. As long as we bring one charm <laughs> between us. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that'll be fun. Yeah, I think I think where I want to start actually is just to say we're going to um, cover both of these games almost as one really because they're quite similar from a West Ham perspective rather than going each in through each individually. And the biggest takeaway surely um, from a West Ham perspective, is just that this was probably the best football we've played with the ball this season. We've done some good work previously this season, Arsenal, Spurs, um, Brighton, Chelsea, without the ball and uh, and as a counter-attacking team. Obviously, we have to use the ball well to, to generate those counter-attacking opportunities. Um, but in terms of games that necessitate more control in possession, better play in possession, more ability to progress comfortably and fluidly arrive in the final third, all of that stuff. I think both the Freiburg game and the Wolves game, certainly the Wolves game even more so than the Freiburg game, really some of the best work we've done with the ball, to my mind, in a very long time in in that kind of game. Um, 
and 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 the most obvious switch is in midfield. It's something we've been speaking about a lot over the last few podcasts. How we were very pleased with the start of the season and the blend of the midfield. We talked about before more Prowse and, and Alvarez joined, or just as they were joining, how we were a bit concerned about how the midfield would actually knit together. We didn't really have enough confidence in the way that those three players, Ward Prowse, Suchek, and Alvarez, would actually work in a midfield unit, where would Pakatar go? How is it all going to, especially when Kudus joined as well? It seemed a bit confusing how all those players were going to fit into the same team. We were pleased to begin with, with Alvarez dropping deeper, Ward Prowse playing further forward and Suchek doing the in-between work. We thought that that functioned quite well and, and, and worked well for us in the opening games. It changed, I think, around the Sheffield United match. It might have been, that might have been the first game where it changed, where Suchek took on the number 10 role. I think we... We looked at that post-match and actually even pre-match as, as as being to do with their weakness to crosses being their main issue so far in the season at that point and wanting to get such a you know dangerous box-crashing presence into the final third much more regularly as a way of generating chances and, and goals. Um, post that, I would have to say on reflection and compared to the last two, performances definitely suffered um from from that blend of the midfield with Suchek further forward and Ward Prowse deeper. We've had a lot of chats as as everyone who's been listening will know about how Ward Prowse doesn't necessarily function to his best in, in deeper areas. It doesn't get the best out of out of the attributes that he has as a player. And also if you're just thinking about being able to combine in the final third and good positive relationships between your ten and your striker and the wingers, Thomas Suchek isn't going to bring that in terms of his general play um, from a number ten position and reversing now in in the last two games with Ward Prowse taking on the number 10 role it does really emphasize that if you're going to fit this midfield together with those five players it has to surely be that way around unless you've got some kind of crazy single issue game like Sheffield United where it's so obvious that crosses are going to be a problem for the opposition you maybe switch it but other than that surely this has to be the way that we play it yeah, yeah, I think so, hundred percent. And I think you're, yeah, you're right to pick out the Sheffield game, and I think it it made sense doing it in that game uh, for for reasons that you've said. And I wonder thereafter if we kind of saw it continue because of the absence of Antonio and a lack of an obvious outball who could really compete with a back line, given the physical nature of a lot of the centre backs that we've been going up against, particularly against those sort of more dogged defences that are going to dig in and it is really all about physicality and sort of question marks about whether without Antonio and the sh- and the shuffling of Bowen inside, whether he would be able to handle those battles given his relative inexperience playing through central channels rather than cutting in from the right and, and the, d- the difficulties that come with that. Um, however, I think in recent weeks and particularly against Wolves and, and we'll touch on this again, but we've seen and develop in such a way that there is far less concern about the way that he goes about those duels um and sure he handles them in a very different way to Antonio but he's still physical and he's still pretty tight in terms of maybe not as 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 such with his with his back to goal play and his general hold up play but the ball does have a tendency to he at least is able to bring it down and, and generally release it and therefore that means that in that situation, if if you're banking on the fact that, okay, Bowen is actually going to do relatively well in these duels and he is going to be able to find the second man, then, as you've referenced, the second man you would prefer to have receiving that ball is either one of Ward-Prowse or um, Pakatar if he's around. 
rather than Suchek, who you're going to trust far less to receive the ball and then play that killer through ball. And we see that a lot with obviously Paqueta getting a hat trick of assists and just how, how, how unbelievably good he is at playing that final killer ball and and that for me is just a more harmonious balancing of the squad and sort of getting the best out of the strengths of the key players and I think that's a debate that we've had over the previous weeks is sort of maybe us using players out of position and asking them to do things that they weren't necessarily best at and I think we've we've finally seen that flip back round now with Ward Prowse sort of getting the best out of him in terms of being the one that leads the press and knowing when to step up and, and force Wolves to to play out potentially when they don't want to and again at the end of the pitch we look so much more comfortable defending our box and sort of being able to manage those waves of pressure when it's Suchek that's having to sort of zonally mark the whatever side of the box he's on and sort of head away crosses rather than Ward Prowse, who at times has kind of been left looking over his shoulder at the space that he was meant to be marking. And then we've conceded, which is obviously not what you want. So I think, um, yeah, it's nice to have seen that finally come into fruition and for us to get the result to, to hopefully mean that it persists beyond this game because it's worked. Yeah, I think there are a couple of things to, to to say very quickly just after after that section. One is that credit to Thomas Suchek because we did pick up the results um, over that period for the for, for the most part, and and Suchek scored some really important goals as part of that run. So even though he might not be the most natural number ten, and I would certainly say it didn't help the team massively. I don't think we functioned to our best or anywhere near our best, and I think that's been proven by these last two games and the difference in the performances we've seen from the last two games, he still managed to to offer enough upside through his box crashing and his ability to pick up good spaces in the final third and his finishing to to get us points, get us important points that, you know, if we continue in the in the vein that we have set across the last two games, we'll look back on that period as a time where we really did a good job of grinding out results whilst still trying to figure things out um, a little bit. So that's the first thing. The next thing is just to go into slight more depth and kind of take it away from not just how much better we were on the ball and look at the defensive side and say, you know, clean sheet. And we look so much more comfortable defensively. And as you're saying about Suchek covering space compared to Ward Prowse getting a bit lost in the middle and sometimes looking back at space he's meant to be marking and seeing players run into it and thinking, oh, rubbish, that's not, it's not, that's not gone very well. Um, it's just so much better. Suchek really covers gaps so well. He helps in terms of covering in behind Sufal. I think the most notable thing with him in both games, particularly the Freiburg game, actually, is just how many crosses he cuts out. He's just got such good anticipation of where the ball's going to go in the box. And he just arrives in the right space to cut it out and clear it. And that, on top of you know heading out corners and stuff, is a really, really important um part of the game for us. And it's a Vincent company I was listening to after their most recent loss and he was saying you can play as well as you like between the boxes but football ultimately is about can you win the game and be the best in both penalty areas and as much as Suchek might frustrate at times with what he does between the boxes he's very very good in, in, mm-hmm. in both boxes and really helps you be dominant in, in both of those areas so he's still an important player for us I do think if you had someone with his kind of physicality and a little bit more progressive um ability on the ball it would help the team when we're playing this way with this blend of the midfield in games we want to dominate the ball but I think again that's about midfield building and looking to bring in the right profiles and still I think Suchet would be quite an important player the rest of the time look at the games we've got coming up I still see Tom being like vitally important in the, in this next run of games where they're 
probably much more suited to, to to him than any other kind of midfielder. I also think as well, if you had a player of Suchek's dominance in both boxes who was more progressive, he probably wouldn't play for West Ham because no, exactly. that that is the sort of unicorn midfielder, right? It's like if you find someone with the upsides of Suchek, then necessarily for a club like West Ham, he's got to have a downside because otherwise he'd be playing for a Bayern Munich, a City, a, someone like that who can really... I mean, it's like a Erling Haaland-esque central midfield player, right? If you have all of those profiles. Arguably the closest thing is Declan Rice, no? I mean, like, isn't he, <laughs> well, exactly. isn't he yeah. the closest guy to that? And I suppose that was a big part of why we were so good for so long. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's that, that's the midfield. And, and we're both really pleased with the work that, that Ward Prowse has done from, from 10 this season and, and, and yeah. how good he's been. Really, really off the ball more than anything, just in terms of helping us engage so much more aggressively. Um, PPDA so much better, um, and and so good from the perspective of you know being able to generate chances in the final third, not relying on your build up at all times, being able to win the ball in good areas to create opportunities for players who are dynamic in in that area of the pitch. Kudus and Burn are such massive threats if you look at the chances that we converted i mean kudus's first goal is absolutely just an incredible finish um so you you know my perspective on this has always been even before kudus arrived that generating chances for them by winning the ball back in good areas is just going to be a really good way of us creating opportunities and scoring goals um and i think Ward prowse makes that about 10 times better when he plays um, from a more advanced position, his anticipation is so good. But the third player in midfield, who definitely warrants some some conversation after an incredible performance against Freiburg and then a good performance against um, Wolves, is Alvarez and his much you know less engaged role from a from a sort of proactive defensive uh, perspective. I don't like him when he's running around willy nilly in the midfield because I think it creates gaps elsewhere. I like it when he's he's deeper and he's playing somewhat you know so sort of half six half centre back um thing um as we saw against brighton and we praised really really a lot then um but actually we come to talk about in possession now uh where we've been talking about what, what happens without the ball with will prowse and suchek and say that him dropping between the center backs as we've spoken about before on the pod we look so good when that happens compared to everything else we do with the ball we look so good when alvarez drops between the center backs and enables our centre-backs to be progressive engines often outside of a, of, a, of a typical front two press, which is what you see a lot in the Premier League. You see a lot of teams lining up in either a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-2 defensive shape, which looks like having two guys at the top of the pitch to pressurise opposition build-up in the centre of the pitch. If you drop a centre-back between that and create the three, you're always going to create space for someone yep. in that in that area. In the Freiburg game, it was very much Mavropanos driving through, carrying, using his ability on the ball. And then you've also got a GERD give him any space he's going to be able to play progressive balls into the midfield Mavropanos can do that as well by the way I don't want to take away from his, his his passing ability which is also very strong and then in the Wolves game you know we've we've been saying maybe about Kurt Zuma that progressive ability is not not necessarily something that he brings to a particularly high degree and you know people have maybe whispered about Mavropanos being a guy that could take over being much better as a, as a progressor as a centre-back um but he did a pretty good job against Wolves and some of his carrying was really, really useful yep. to us. And um, we'll talk about how maybe Wolves helped us a little bit later. <laughs> um, but that 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 three shape, you know, we've spoken about it quite negatively before, whether it's a, a 3-1-6 or a 4-1-5 and overloading the back line, evacuating the middle of the pitch and not really having enough structural support to be able to build through the middle. 
Um, but it worked against Wolves. We did a very similar thing. Didn't really have many players in the center of the pitch. Although I would say something that I've loved from both Freiburg and Wolves games is we've seen Emerson coming into the center much more often as well now, taking up positions in more central areas, combinations with Pakita. Yes, same as before. But if Pakita is not coming into the middle, I'm seeing Emerson inverting at times. Doesn't seem to be particularly planned. He just seems to be identifying the space and moving <laughs> into it, which I mean is good anyway. But um, yeah, it's it, it's working really well for us, isn't it? And and if we can build from that. Um, that baseline, certainly with Alvarez at the back rather than, than Ward-Prowse or Suchek splitting the centre-backs, um, then it gives us a really nice platform to control the game a little bit better. Yeah, 100%. I think the Zuma bit, the carrying of Zuma was was really refreshing, actually. And I think if that's something that we can see again and see develop um, with Alvarez splitting them, then I think it just makes it slightly more dynamic in build-up as well because it means that we're not so heavily reliant on having to go through again all the time because you can almost use a sort of faux not quite a faux transition, but you could you could look as if you're building up through a GERD, create a little bit of space on the right-hand side, quickly give it to Zuma to carry into that space, and then you've got Sifal freed up, which is something we saw quite quite frequently and, and we're going to come on to in a bit with regards to Wolves' press. But I also think one of the benefits of having Alvarez in that deeper position is that, yes, whilst it does allow us to control possession a lot more comfortably, and I think that's really important, particularly against teams like Wolves, where there are going to be moments of the game where you need to flick between digging in and just riding that wave and then also just asserting some dominance and taking control of games which is something that we've not seen anywhere near as enough of this season and and at times has been our downfall so to see us remedy that in some respect is really positive but I think as well there are obviously going to times where your build-up does fail and having Alvarez at the back as the recovery midfielder rather than Ward Prowse, who we've already said has an unfortunate tendency to get breezed past when midfielders are running at him or easily uh, bypassed with a, with a quick one too. Alvarez is a completely different beast. And, and like we've said, it, it looks as though his sort of eagerness to engage has been tamed somewhat. And he seems to be slightly more um, controlled in that respect and knows the right moments. But if an Agurd pass is intercepted or if a Zuma carry is tackled and then brought forward. Having Alvarez there rather than Ward-Prowse gives me so much more confidence that we're not just going to now suddenly be faced with a one-on-one with the keeper because A, he's either going to check back and cover the space well and, and allow the fullbacks to get into position before the opposition actually do anything, or he's going to read it right and spring out straight away and close it down before it actually becomes a counter, which is when he chooses it right, he's very good at. But there are... or less so against Wolves but there have been occasions this season where he's chosen the wrong moment and then opened up those gaps and I think as well having the cover of of yeah a GERD who if if they do get past Alvarez a GERD has shown that he is able to drop in and cover those spaces pretty well um and obviously has pretty good recovery pace and freakishly long legs um that, that's uh, that's quite a weird observation now that I've said it out loud but it, it is the way he lunges in is quite bizarre and just to, su- to support what you're saying about um, out of possession and, and when build-up does go wrong, having Alvarez there helps so much. If you think about when Suchek did have his sort of worst moment of the game and gave the ball away in our own half in the in, in the first half, um, it's a completely different story, isn't it? If you think about it, in your sort of 
recovery defense having Alvarez and Zuma because a guard wins the tackle and then gets caught out higher up the pitch if it's Alvarez and Zuma and Sufal and Emerson you feel a lot more com- confident <laughs> yeah. and comfortable than, it, than you would if it was Ward Prowse back there so I think it makes a huge difference to have someone who's more natural in that role he's played centre-back so much in his career so it's quite natural for him to be in those positions um, so I, yeah it makes a huge difference to us defensively and offensively those things all come together. I mean, we've just chatted about all three midfield players and how finding the right roles for them makes us better as a team out of possession and in possession. So it makes so much sense to continue this way from, yeah. from here on. And, and one thing just to maybe bring into that discussion a little bit is uh, before we move on to how Wolves helped us a bit with the way that they pressed, it's just how Pakata being on the left is fine. As it is, it doesn't need, he doesn't need to be moved into the middle of the pitch because he operates better in those areas. He's able to dismark from coming from the left, which I think helps him anyway. And actually, if you were taking an evidence-based approach to how his season is functioning, he's been so much better since moving to the left. His, all, everything's so positive. I mean, he got three assists in the Wolves game playing from that position. So I think this works this works for these players at the moment that blend really works um so i don't there's been a lot of chat online for example about when is you know when we find a left winger to move pakatar into suchek's position and then it's all going to be perfect i think this is good right now i think this is good and i don't know if you move pakatar into that position and you give him all of the defensive responsibility that suchek has for the system is it is it, is it going to function as well possibly not Maybe what you'd be better looking for is someone who can, like as we discussed, do a little bit more progressive work than Suchek can, but still be defensively as confident as Suchek is. What you'd have to probably give away in that position is the box crashing ability of uh, uh, of Suchek as well. You'd probably have to lose something somewhere. And I think that's the thing that I would be willing, if I was looking in the transfer market, I'd be willing to say, that's the thing we'll let go and look for someone who we can add to the squad who who's just a sort of, I'd, I'd be quite happy with quite a run-of-the-mill defensive midfielder, really. Just a half-turn receiving <laughs> average defensive midfielder. Anyway, um, <laughs> we just talked about how important Zuma's carrying was, and you mentioned how we were able to get the ball down the right-hand side, free up Sufal, get the ball high up that pitch, uh, high up that side of the pitch very easily for a lot of the match. And one of the things that was really clear, I mean, we were both watching the bits of the game back before we started recording. When we Jean-Ric Nabelgaard and Pablo Sarabia. What's going on? I'm not... <laughs> it didn't make much sense to me. Um, you can do a clinic on Monday Night Football, but I'd love to hear him explain what he was planning there. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like a 4-4-2 um, in sort of stable... If we're building up with the centre-backs, it looks like a 4-4-2 for Wolves. But in order to sort of counteract, I imagine, I'm, I'm putting myself in Gary O'Neill's shoes, in order to, to counteract what we do by overloading the back line to create these opportunities for Diags into the, into the final third without really having to build up, they dropped Belgarde all the way off with Sufal and he, it would become you know a back five. But Sarabia wasn't really interested in filling that position. So it became a lopsided 5-3-2 with pretty much no one playing on the left for, for Wolves, which creates that space for Zuma. So I, I just wanted to bring that up to sort of open the conversation, Cal. In both games, we've played Freiburg and Wolves. We've played really well in both. But have we been helped a little bit by teams that are not, they're not, they're, they're neither sitting off 
nor are they really pressing. They're doing something in between, which maybe enables us to start to play some of our better stuff because under lots of pressure, you don't feel particularly confident about some of the players in the West Ham team receiving and helping us build up. And then against a just set low block, we have different issues as per games like the TSC game, for example, where we just struggle to to break through and actually create opportunities. So as much as we're positive about the way the midfield is sort of reshaped and the way that we use the ball in both games, have we been helped a little bit by the fact that the teams have maybe been suited to that and, and, and allowed us to do that? Yeah, I think so. And I think particularly in the, in the Wolves game in, in the way that the, yeah, like we said, bizarre press, ineffective press, whatever you want to call it. I think the, the way that it seemed to be built around Sifal as a trigger, but Presumably the instructions weren't being carried out as effectively. Either that or the press that they built was just not right. Um, but when you think how impactful Kudus was able to be coming in from those sorts of areas after everyone was so preoccupied, well, Belgard was so preoccupied with just following Sifal wherever he goes, when you've got these teams that are sort of caught between an, a, a fully engaged press... <clears throat> or a sort of press that's, yeah, sort of more man-oriented. When you come up against a team that's not going to press, the gaps that you want to open up aren't going to open up because they're just not stepping out. So that's obviously why we struggle to build up through those phases. And when you come up against an intense press that's fully committed on just pressing the entire back line, the gaps are there, but it's impossible for us to actually play through because we don't have the high-level players that are so comfortable under that level of pressure. But when, when a team's caught somewhere in between it's less difficult for the players to play through because they're not under quite as much pressure. But at the same time, those gaps are opening up. So then we're able to find those those passes. And I think that's probably why we, uh, in moments we looked so good and so direct because we were able to find Paqueta and get the ball into his feet. And sort of, it wasn't a similar performance, but there were shades of those sort of goals we scored against Leon, where boom, all of a sudden we've played through this crazy press and with two passes, we've carved them open and, Thankfully, in the, in those positions, we have players with so much quality, whether it's off the ball runs, whether it's occupying pockets of space like Kudus does, uh, whether it's, yeah, like Bowen making runs off the ball to drag centre-backs out of the way to create those gaps for Kudus to occupy, and someone with the vision and execution of Paqueta, who three times of asking can execute a perfectly weighted pass every time, um, that's going to be super helpful. So, yeah, I think there is an element of definitely coming up against two oppositions that sort of allowed us to land in our happy space, so to speak, where it's like it alleviated our issues in build-up, but also exacerbated our strengths in sort of direct counter-attacking football. Um, but yeah, I think that's not to take away from the execution because we still had to do it and we still had to make the best of the situation and and massive props to to all three of Kudus, Bowen. Well, massive props to everyone really, but particularly Kudus, Bowen and Paqueta because I think that, and I, and I don't think this is an exaggeration and I've seen a lot of people saying it that aren't West Ham fans as well, but that on its day is a Champions League level front three. I, ge- I genuinely believe that in terms of all three of them could play for Champions League clubs. Um, so yeah, really promising. And if we can continue to build around that, as we move forward uh, in January and summer as well, with with starting seemingly identifying some um, some interesting targets, then then it's really promising. Um, but yeah, I think on Paqueta, uh, we we were talking before the pod. We had a quick look to see the through ball numbers, uh, and we can confirm that he is now leading Europe's top five leagues in uh, through balls completed, um, better than Trent, better than Bellingham, better than Tony Cruz. So yes, yeah, in some pretty fine company there. 
yeah, I did say to Cal, Kevin De Bruyne is back soon, so we can wrap that one up in, <laughs> you know, in a few weeks, probably. Um, yeah, and I, I also think when you're talking about Belgard following Soufal and being so stuck to his man, I can understand when he was doing those things, you know, just charging in WWE-like, as, as was said on Sky Sports, and just doing horrible. Um, yeah, I can understand Belgard being so absolutely committed to following him <laughs> yeah. I think I would be and also you know speaking about some of the things that were made easy for us I mean Leon is such a good shout for you to bring that up because they committed their fullbacks right and they left the mm-hmm. two centre-backs in so much space and they didn't really have the athleticism to do that Wolves did something similar but yeah. Dawson I I felt like he was playing for us at points. The amount of space he was dropping off, it basically played everyone on side for every counter-attack. Um, I think that probably helped us a lot as well, made our life a lot easier in terms of being ex- able to execute quick, direct counter-attacking play. And like you said, in terms of we have to execute it, I also just thought the number of one-twos in the game, quick combination play, that was excellent. We saw it late in the game, Paqueta, you know, starting to showboat and stuff and pulling off these really Im- impressive bits of dribbling and, and yeah. close control. I think we're a bit like that as a team. and I, I do feel like sometimes when I watch us, if it's not going well, it's not that we give up, but we don't necessarily achieve much fluency in the game and we kind of have to batter it home by just being really committed and physical and we sometimes find a way to do that but I do feel like we sort of suddenly come out of our shells if we if if we start a game well get a goal it does really seem like certain players really start to flourish in those circumstances and try things that they maybe wouldn't otherwise and they actually begin to to come off the only two that seem to do that consistently regardless of what the situation in their game is is Pakatar and Emerson and that's why Pakatar drives Moyes mad half the time because <laughs> I don't think he cares what's happening in yeah. the game he's still going to attempt those things a lot of the time you mentioned about Bowen Kurs and Pakatar being a Champions League front three Jared Bowen as a striker um, I'm just so impressed by how quickly it's developed, how quickly he's improved at so many elements of um, of his game. It's worth saying still, though, in the game against Wolves, he scores when he moves right. And of the entire sort of portion of him playing up front from the Fulham and Wolves games, he had quite a few sort of strikers' chances didn't put any of them away but then as soon as he gets a classic right winger's chance um he puts it in the back of the net and i think that's probably the next step for him he's worked out some of the physicality he's worked out some of the duels with the center backs we don't see him getting you know shut certainly in the Wolves game i mean he lost like two duels and we really didn't see him getting shoved around at all he handled himself really well and didn't struggle physically but to be a top level striker to be a champions league level striker you've got to put away a lot of those half chances or at least some of those half chances. And at the moment, dealing with those kind of snapshots hasn't necessarily come off for him just yet. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think, I think that's it. It's, I think I'd put it down to two things is against Fulham. We saw a couple where he sort of, he received the ball into his feet, but got it caught under his body a bit and, and he didn't hit the volleys with enough veracity basically and it meant that it was an easy enough save or he wasn't able to find the corner from sort of his body being in a fairly tight upright position with having to get the ball out of his feet uh, and I think that'll come with time like you say it's 
usually when he's receiving the ball out on the right, he's got a pretty open body, he's taking it in his stride and he's able to sort of lean back and get his whip on it across the goal. Whereas in those sort of more central areas where the centre-backs are obviously touch tight, generally speaking, you don't have the opportunity to sort of receive in, in that manner. So it's just a case of learning how to set his feet, learning how much distance to sort of separate uh, separate himself from the centre-back when receiving so that he's able to get, get his shot off in much more easily. Um, and I think as well, in a in a similar sense, um, those sort of chances that we, I, I guess you come to associate Haaland with now, I think that any top striker really in, in the sort of running between the centre-backs or between the gap between the centre-back and the full-back and timing it so that you arrive to, as the first person to the ball and sort of firing the shot across goal, giving the keeper no chance really if you hit the target. And I think, again, that just comes with working out sort of when he needs to start his run to arrive at the ball based on when Emerson or Pakatar or Fornals delivers it from that left-hand side. Whereas previously, he's probably got some sort of mental trigger from, okay, right, Emerson's on the ball, he's about to pass it and now I need to go. But usually he's about 10, 15 metres further from the goal because he's further out. So if he starts his run at the same moment with the same mental trigger, he's now arriving at the wrong time because he's got less... Do you know what I'm trying to say? There's different amounts of ground to cover. So Absolutely. it's just working out spatially again. It'll come with time. If we keep persistent with him going through the middle, then eventually he will get used to it. And I have confidence saying that because the other things that we've said that he needs to get used to before he has now got used to and is doing it to a level that I, I personally didn't expect him to reach quite so soon. Um, and I think as well, Moyes has seen it because I think, as we said at the top of the pod, Suchek being deployed up there was kind of, I don't want to say it was like a bodyguard-esque type thing, but it was like, okay, well, Jared needs to go up there because we don't have anyone up there with the sort of finishing prowess and he's in our, he's in our richest vein of goal-scoring form. So it makes sense to play him in Antonio's absence, but I just don't quite have the confidence that he's going to be physically ready for it. So what we'll do is we'll chuck Suchek up there to protect him and sort of, and now Moise has gone, oh shit, okay, he can do it. Right, well, we'll stick Suchek back at the back. We'll get Ward-Prowse up there and that's that vote of confidence. And I think... If he's taken, if he's managed to do that in what a few weeks, basically, then I think the timing stuff will will just come with time. Ironically, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. To, and to bring it back round to another positive, it's worth also saying. I mean, what I've loved from the last two games as well is the amount, amount of times he's picked the right moment to drop off, and and and, yep. and combine with players in deeper positions. I love that you know he if he drops off at the right time, he'll either bring a defender with him and create space for someone else to go in behind. Or he'll just open up into space that completely unmarked and be able to play really yeah. neat one twos with Kudus and set other players through into good positions, or just come and receive the ball, turn and, and, and spray it out wide to, to Emerson or Soufal. I just think the fact that he's not, and this is interesting because it's a difference, I suppose, with what we've seen so much for the last few seasons because Antonio's been playing striker so much of the time and he's always pushing the defense back. It's so different to see a striker that can do both that's happy to go in behind, wants to go in behind quite a lot, happy to deal with the physical duel against the centre-backs to be right up against the last line, but also quite comfortable and confident now, dropping off in central areas and combining. And that really adds to the way that we can play. It adds so much to the sort of something I've, I've spoken about for years now, variance of threats, not only having one way that you're going to attack, one way that you're going to generate chances, but actually having loads of different ways that you can reorganize, move players around, especially it helped as well, like Pakita being on the left, Kudus being on the right, you know, 
maybe both we'd like to see them in the 10 position because we like them in that area we think they can be most dangerous in that area but they're both coming into that space from the right from 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 the wings and Bowen is now moving into that space from the striker position as well if you're a defense you've got so many players who are threats coming into the center of the pitch and you don't know who's going to drop who's going to go in behind they can all do it i think that makes us so much more dangerous having that kind of variance in the in the in the front line and it's really really kind of exciting and i have to admit you know in some ways i was completely wrong about about certain things i didn't think Bayern would develop the physicality to to be able to cope i didn't think that we would be able to establish confident and uh, enough build up to be able to not play the ball long all the time which would make his life more difficult and his development more difficult a, a, as a striker and i also didn't think kudus would be able to just come in and and work so well so quickly off the right i thought it would be a much slower integration and much more about finding in minutes where we could in the center of the pitch because of his dribbling and how important it would be to us in the centre post rise, finding someone who could carry, receive on the turn. Very Lingard style. I was really looking at us as a sort of, okay, after last season, we're going to go back nuts and bolts, counter-attacking. That's what we're going to do. So it's going to be, where can we work? Could us in at times as a sort of direct 10 second halves, dragging us up the pitch, real threat when we've maybe got ourselves 1-0 in the lead. You know, I think Moyes actually deserves quite a lot of credit for working these pieces around getting Pakatar on the left ways flourishing, putting Bowen through the middle, which I think was a big risk in some ways to the way that he usually plays. And actually it's worked out because we've got someone who's physically confident in that area, but like we say, also comfortable dropping and combining and actually playing Kudus, getting Kudus into the first team, playing him off the right and proven right, I would say, in all three cases another thing he did really well which i want to want to want to shout out from from the wolves game was the substitution to move Pacata. you know i think alvarez being subbed off was a bit of a surprise to everyone who's playing quite well but he's been carrying a knock he was carrying a knock after the after the freiburg game he had a dead leg in the freiburg game so i'm not surprised he came off in that sense um but Pacata moving forward was perhaps a more impactful bit of that and it was a period of the match where we were struggling a little bit more the second half is a lot of questions on hamalytics this week for example about what happened in the second half why why were we so much more passive in the second half why did wolves have so much more control in the second half did we do sort of classic david moyes let them back into the game we'll come to that we'll talk about how difficult that is to establish often between you know whether one team is is playing better with the ball handling the ball better or whether you're enabling that you're allowing that by being less active off the ball hugely impactful change to move Pakatar up front because even though Bowen is he's improving and is doing so well physically just having a bigger guy like Pakatar enables you to go long when you're trapped deeper it enabled a couple more long balls and just let us sort of relieve pressure a little bit easier he holds the ball up so well and reminded me actually of what we were talking about do you remember Oh, quite a few episodes ago now, we were talking about when Antonio was fit, we were saying we've only really seen us be a sort of 60-minute team or a 65-minute team. That was at the start of the season. And then saying, well, we finally found some way to get us beyond 65 minutes. And it was Pakatar coming up, you know, becoming the striker for the last 20, 25 minutes of the game. And then that that relationship happening with Bowen and Pakatar instead of Antonio and Pakatar in this game and, and it working so well. It's really just good to see all the different layers that have been added so quickly throughout the season um, and, and functioning so well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think one of the real benefits um, of having Bakatar up there in those sort of closing moments of games and sort of I think what separates him or, or not separates him because they're obviously very different, but something that he does differently to Antonio is that 
when he has the ball under control, I would <laughs> not not to dump on Antonio, but I think there'd be moments where you're you're looking to go long to Antonio in the final moments of games, and he ends up frustrating us because his touch is bad and it goes out for a throw, or because he loses the ball and all of a sudden we've lost control of the game. Whereas Paqueta is frustrating the opposition defence by just taking a hundred touches and just dribbling it around yeah, and doing yeah. little back heels until he gets fouled or until he wins a throw for us. And he's frustrating the opposition fans because they're moaning and groaning that he's showboating, but really he's just doing his job of keeping possession and, and uh, yeah, winding up the opposition. And I think, yeah, we, it really helps that he's not just holding on to the ball, but he's actually quite often he's making things out of it as well. We saw that one where he sort of dragged about three players in and then just released a little back heel pirouette into the path of a I think it was one hours or flipping act. He is a yeah, he has got some tech. And his touch as well, I know he's not as um he's not obviously a you can call him a target forward or anything like that, but you've seen those Brazilian Donnies playing keep up on the beach where they're using like their back heels, the back of their calves, their asses and stuff. Like if you release it to Paqueta, he's gonna find a way to control it somehow. And it's just yeah, so exactly, nice to yeah. be able to rely even though he's not the most physically imposing, he'll find a sort of technical way rather than a physical way to to bring it under his control. And uh, yeah, it, it's really good to see. But it's also, you know, it is worth saying he he also will mix it physically. I mean, you yeah. see, you, you've seen that increasingly throughout this season. How confident he's been in the duels. How um, how kind of aggressive he's been at, 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 mm. at times this season. And that's really important when he when he takes on that role late in, late in games. I suppose it's also got quite a a happy byproduct for Moyes because he talks about tearing his hair out with him losing the ball in the wrong areas and yeah. in deep positions of the pitch. It just solves that problem as well at the end of the game. He's just not in those positions to give the ball away and set attacks for the opposition. So loads yeah. and loads of positives um, to take away tactically from, from, from the Wolves game and just in terms of how the team looks and sh- is shaping up for the rest of the season. I mean, part of me looks at the data, looks at the underlying data and says, I don't think we've been at our best this season mm-hmm. we've we've not been good enough defensively we've given up too many chances and the underlying data generally when i'm talking when i say underlying data i'm really i'm talking about hg difference and and the number of chances we've conceded compared to the number of chances we've made and thinking maybe at some point we're going to level out and 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 those shouts about us being sort of more mid tabley which was which basically the line we've been taking all season will will come true in the end that's what that's where we'll find sort of our our actual level somewhere in the middle of the table. Part of me also looks at the last couple of games, you know, the really positive part of me looks at the last couple of games and says, well, actually we've done a really good job of picking up points without being very good, without being at our best. And the last couple of games have pointed to a team that's maybe starting to figure something out and starting to play to a much better level. If they can continue that or find that kind of form more than they have done in the first half of the season, in the second half of the season, then maybe we could be pushing around, you know, seventh, eighth, that that area of the league. And I, I have to say, if we, you know, we've gone deep into the in the, into the League Cup, if we can go deep into the FA Cup as well, and we've gone already into the into the round of sixteen in, in the Europa League, and we finish anywhere above tenth, that is an incredible season. For, yep. for for West Ham, those things combined would, would represent a genuinely incredible season for West Ham. So, lots of things to be positive about. Um, just just lastly on, on on Wolves in the second half, because I do want to cover it just briefly. It's something we spoke about post Bournemouth, right back at the start of the season, and how difficult it is sometimes establishing whether one team is committing lots of players forward and that is forcing you to defend, 
or whether you've been a little bit more passive and allowed the other team to come back into the game. When I look at the second half of the Wolves game, I think we started it quite well. We created a couple of opportunities from corners. Um, and I think we were generally quite good in the sort of first five to seven or eight minutes of the second half. I think Wolves came into it after that. And I think one of the things that we probably neglect to mention too much when we're talking about sort of the, the flow of a game or the the game state, if you like, changing, is it's not just about where you engage defensively. It is also just crucial that you look after the ball really well in all periods of, the, of a match. And I think if you look at the data around the Wolves game, you see actually that that period of the match is when the long ball percentage starts to really tick up. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of what started to go wrong for us a little bit more in the second half. And, to, you know, before Pakata was moved up front, where I think we sort of started to find out a way to make it work for us rather than work against us, um, was that rather than us engaging not so aggressively higher up the pitch, Wolves, I would say, were more secure, better in the second half than they were in the first half. They looked after the ball better than they did in the first half. I thought they were terrible in the first half on the ball. Um, and it, in the second half, I think we just were a little bit less secure ourselves. We were a bit more fragile to pressure we went long too quickly too many times and i spoke to charlie about this but if you're going to set to press and you're losing the ball 20 yards from your goal line or 25 yards from your goal line and you've kicked it long and dawson's retrieved it 10 yards into wolves half that's a long way to go to really commit to a proper press so i think it is difficult and i think being able to take periods of security with the ball being able to to, to sort of kill the game with the ball a little bit and advance into the final third actually enables you to press. It's not just about your defensive attitude. It's about getting into the final third to be in the right position, to be in the right shape, to be able to actually go and attack the opposition without the ball. So I think a lot of things come together and it's sometimes quite difficult to establish what the first domino is to fall rather than just looking at it and saying, well, we've, we've had less of the ball in this half. So clearly the manager's gone Sit outside the goal. <laughs> Sit, I want 10 players in the box. We're going all out defence. I think that's that's all I wanted to say about that. Last big positive from, from the Wolves and Freiburg games, just wanted to cover very briefly as well before we leave you for Christmas, is um, Divine Mubama getting on in both games, 30 minutes total. I think we both just wanted to say it was a real positive to take away. Um, it's great to see him getting minutes. I don't think he's performed amazingly <laughs> in either <laughs> game. But um, in terms of sort of development and someone we really see as being a good option for the squad going forward, if he can handle the transition to, to senior football, and that's not just about David Moyes or the system or whatever, it's about divine. It's about whether he yeah. can perform and improve at the level that he needs to do. And it often needs, needs to be pretty drastic for young players coming from, from the youth academy into, into senior football. Um, we see him as a really useful squad option. And these kinds of minutes, even if it's 10 here and there, it's 30 total from the Freiburg and Wolves games are going to give him the kind of platform he needs to 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 make that transition happen, isn't it? 100%. And it will also give him the confidence to put pen to paper on a new deal because he'll see an actual pathway <laughs> pathway to the to the first team. And I think it, it, it it's, it's funny, but it is actually... If he's not going to get any minutes, then he's not going to stay because he'll think, oh, well, I'm not going to get into the team and I can go and sign a four-year deal with a championship club um, and I'll be sweet. But yeah, I think it's really important both for his development, but also for, yeah, sort of a vote of confidence in him and saying, look, there is genuinely a future at West Ham for you. And I think also it's not, 
it's not a coincidence that Moyes keeps referring to him as a West Ham boy and a young divine and sort of an academy. And he's really, he's not just saying, oh yeah, Mubama. It's like he's really reiterating the fact that he's a youth product from the academy and that we want that and he understands West Ham and stuff like that. So yeah, I think it's just important to know and, and credit to Moyes for that because I think there was other players on the bench that he could have brought on and a year or so ago, we probably would have expected him to bring them on ahead of ahead of Mubama and yeah a, a, a real vote of confidence in Mubama and yeah gives me confidence that um that yeah we're heading in the right direction with respect to looking after his development hopefully it means he's performing in training as well I mean yeah it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a like you say it's kind of unusual to see Moyes opt for a young player consistently over other seniors on the bench um so hopefully that means he's doing something right in, in training and really impressing the manager to get those minutes um mm-hmm. I just really hope he gets a goal in one of these little cameos because yeah. for his confidence, it would make such a huge difference to, to, to his confidence. Um, not the note I want to finish on, but Danny Ying's number 10. Let's not do that. I don't know why that's happening. <laughs> I don't know why that's happening. It's happening at the same time. At least he's realized that he can't bring Danny Ying's on by himself. He has to bring on a physical presence with him. But even then, like... Yeah, and he's playing Mubama up top and Ings in the 10 rather than Mubama in the 10 and, and giving Ings <laughs> well, that would be striker. So. <laughs> so that, that would be like yeah. psychosis if he was bringing <laughs> Ings on up front and Mubama 10. Anyway, look, um, I said last week we would give you some dates. So uh, we're going to leave it from this one, have Christmas, have a few days off. Um, not gonna have, well, I'm not going to really have any days off because of the amount of football around Christmas, but Cal hopefully is going to have a few days off. <laughs> um and then uh, we will be back on the 27th. We might, the pod might come out on the 28th, um, dependent on the time that we managed to record it because we haven't really worked out times yet. But 27th or 28th for the next podcast. And then it will be the 4th um, for the following podcast, possibly recording on the 4th, possibly out on the 5th, either the 4th or the 5th for the, for the one after that. And then hopefully normal service resumed um from that point onwards i know i said as well for this week at the end of the uh, tail end of the last episode i said that we would be incorporating january content from from this week on we haven't got around to it this week um but what i do want to say is in january there's quite quite uh nice breaks between the between the games which is going to give us quite a lot of time to cover transfers targets scouting recruitment any of that stuff um and also sort of general club themes whatever whatever you you know whatever you really like um in January. So I would just, you know, if you've got players you really want us to look at, if you've got players you really want us to talk about, tell us now so we can go and do the work that we need to do on those players and then be ready come those breaks in January where we don't have games to discuss to give you proper episodes on the players that you would like us to discuss. I'm really excited to to have that period where I get to go and look at lots of other teams, lots of other games. I've barely had any time. It's really difficult with West Ham and European football and the amount of work I'm doing around West Ham to actually watch other teams, especially when I have to watch the teams that we're playing coming up all the time and be watching yeah. all of their games back. So I'm really struggling to have the time to get around the you know European leagues and, and keep up with stuff going on there. I looked at Ligue 1 just, just about <laughs> two hours ago. I was like, Brest, <laughs> they're fifth at the moment. It's crazy. I don't know what's going on. Leon at the bottom of the table. It's wild. Um, it, Ren are really struggling too. And I, don't, I can't understand that. It's a crazy good squad. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to go and watch some other players. I know Cal loves it anyway. And Cal's spent a lot of his time, <laughs> lot of his time watching a lot more football. Um, so yeah, no, please throw targets at us. DM me, send, send us both messages on Twitter, whatever, whoever you want us to talk about, let us know now. We'll go and do all of our, uh, 
football watching and um and we'll let you know what we think in january happy christmas thank you cal um i'll say merry christmas to you too in the spirit of the podcast but i'm sure i'll speak to you before (laughs) and um (laughs) and we'll catch you all in just over a week sports social podcast network